The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to Into the Metaverse, where we help make sense of the Metaverse through deep interviews with the brilliant minds who build, create for, and invest in the Metaverse. I'm Jan, and joining me today is Neil Trevitt, Vice President of Developer Ecosystems at NVIDIA, President of Kronos Group, and Chair of the newly established Metaverse Standards Forum, which I'm actually delighted to say that, you know, with SuperSocial, we are members. At NVIDIA, Neil is responsible for enabling and encouraging advanced applications to use GPU acceleration. At the Kronos Group, Neil created and chaired the working group that defined the industry standard for 3D graphics on mobile devices. And at Kronos, he also chairs a working group for portable parallel heterogeneous computing and helped initiate the WebGL standard that is bringing in interactive 3D graphics to the web. Neil is now working to help formulate standards for vision and neural network inferencing. Previously, as vice president of 3D Labs, Neil was at the forefront of Silicon Revolution, bringing interactive 3D to the PC, and he established the Embedded Graphics Division of 3D Labs to bring advanced visual processing to a wide range of non-PC platforms. Neil was elected president for eight consecutive years of the Web3D Consortium, dedicated to creating open standards for communicating real-time 3D on the internet. Neil, really have done some of the most remarkable and important things in tech over the last 30 years. And I'm so delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you for reading all that out. It's good, great to be here. I should have, we should have sent you the shorter summary. <laughs> that, that's all right. I like to hack the intros myself and bake it in a way that will, will really shine a light on all the amazing stuff that folks like yourself are doing. A quick disclaimer, as always, everything discussed on the podcast is not a financial advice, strictly educational. Let's dig in. So Neil, as we continue to build an ever-evolving consensus around what the metaverse is, the first question I like to ask every guest on the show, for you, what is the metaverse? That's a great question. And it's a non-trivial question. The, I think there are so many opportunities, moving pieces and unknowns that it's hard for, I think, for anyone to have a kind of a top-down strategic view of what the metaverse is going to be in 15 years time. But I think most people do have some kind of core vision that the metaverse is going to be a combination of the connectivity of the web with the immersiveness of spatial computing at its essence. That's what people are aiming for. Uh, and you can rephrase that. Maybe it's going to be an evolution of the 2D web that we have today into some form of 3D web. I think the excitement in the industry, even though we don't know quite where we're headed, <laughs> the excitement in the industry is coming from the fact that we're actually in the process of bringing together multiple disruptive technologies in ways that are gonna, I think, create new opportunities. And the web is one and spatial computing has many different elements, but the fact that graphics technology is reaching to the point where you can do quite realistic, real-time 3D graphics on a broad range of platforms. 
headsets are in VR, although that's not a, essential. You no, know, it's going to be an element, certainly, you know, in the most immersive experiences, and that's becoming better over time and will continue to improve. And there's the whole Web3. I think we're going to need to have some kind of decentralized trust and data storage, and we can talk about that more, I'm sure. But last but not least is AI, artificial intelligence. I think that's the magic pixie dust <laughs> that we're sprinkling over you know, all these pieces as they come together that really enables a whole bunch of different things that you know, just a few years ago would have seemed like magic. The natural language processing, natural user interfaces, gesture processing, autonomous machines, and understanding semantically the, their environment and being able to react in realistic ways. As we bring all of that together, you now we're entering into this Darwinian process. And now out of that, it is going to emerge, I think, a steady stream of commercial opportunities uh, as we go down the path towards whatever the metaverse is going to end up being. And I think that's one of the things that are so exciting about a company like NVIDIA, for example, that has been at the forefront of enabling a lot of the innovation in the gaming sector through the GPUs that NVIDIA has built over the years, but also gradually over the years becoming a really profound artificial intelligence company. And now with the introduction of Omniverse, which we've covered in depth and at length here on the podcast with Rev Lavaridian, your colleague, Yes. Uh, really creating an infrastructure that allows people to simulate and build virtual worlds for not just for consumer experiences, but also for enterprise usage and yeah. businesses want to build together. And one of the other things that we've been really anchoring down a lot on the podcast, and I think you can really provide also a perspective on that for the audience, is the fact that when we think about virtual worlds that are persistent and interoperable, for whatever the use, we are also going to build them in a way that is going to be completely device agnostic. And, and sure, there, there may be particular use cases of how an augmented reality device makes sense and a use case for where you use virtual reality. But I think one of the things we've been trying to really highlight on the podcast is that on the back of Facebook changing their name to Meta and turning on the light on this concept called the Metaverse, but also positioning it in a way where, unfortunately, a lot of people th still think that the metaverse is associated primarily with virtual reality headsets. And that's something we wanted to demystify. But I am curious how you perceive the device relationship to what the metaverse could become. I totally agree that XR, as we call it, either augmented or virtual reality, is not going to be essential to accessing the metaverse. There that the metaverse is going to be a platform that supports such a wide diversity, we hope, <laughs> support such a wide diversity of spaces or experiences or worlds that you want to call them. It won't always be immersive worlds. I mean, digital twins, for example, if you're using the metaverse to, to get instrumentation and connectivity between the real world and the virtual world, and creating a digital twin that you can monitor and even simulate, you may not want to go into an, an, a, a 3D virtual space to really understand and use that instrumentation to the best effect. Just like most people actually playing like proto metaverses, which some people would say Roblox and Fortnite or some of the proto metaverse experiences that are out there today, people don't use VR 
for accessing those either. But sir, yes, totally agree with your point. XR is not essential to the metaverse, but certainly some of the worlds and experiences on the metaverse are going to be designed to be best enjoyed through an immersive experience. And VR is going to be obviously important for those. And no, it's very interesting, you know, as you meant Meta, and we're about to go through another hype cycle. <laughs> we are in the middle of it right now. We can debate where on that cycle we are. But virtual reality has also been through a hype cycle. That one started a couple of years ago. And, you know, it, you know and that kind of happened with Facebook when they acquired Oculus. That was the catalyst for that whole cycle. And you know, first it was like, oh my God, this is going to be the biggest thing. And then it's going to be trillions of dollars. And then, oh my God, it isn't working. It's abject failure. <laughs> but yeah, the there reality, was the acquisition <laughs> of Oculus kind of turned on the light for VCs in Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley. And that was a few years of heavy investment in VR. And then there was the disillusionment phase where, oh, okay, well, it's not actually going to work. And now we're back. But I think we're back in my mind with a different perspective where sure, VR is interesting, Probably XR is even more interesting, but at least in my mind, and that's just my interpretation. I'm curious if you share that opinion. I think yeah. of VR as a category of devices, more like game consoles in gaming. It's more fit for purpose, for a certain purpose. It will be big, but it's likely not going to have six, seven, eight billion people around the world using every day all the time. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, for virtual reality, I agree because people don't want to be disconnected from reality that, and in particular, they don't want to be disconnected from their immediate surroundings for long periods of time. I just think it's just not a natural thing to do, but there are going to be immersive experiences and VR through all the hype. Now, the reality is that VR has been steadily improving and the markets and the use cases that people use VR have been steadily building. And so now there is good business in VR. It didn't go as high as the hype and didn't go as low as the despondency. <laughs> uh, it's just a steady growth as people figure out how to use this technology and start building better and better apps. And I think that's going to be the same pattern for the metaverse. It may be slightly higher because it's slightly broader, but you're going to go up. There's going to be a roller coaster. The reality is that people are going to be learning how to bring these pieces together, and it is going to be building significant commercial opportunities as we go. I think augmented reality may be different in the long term. There are lots of problems to actually ship real augmented reality. Now, a device that's as lightweight as this that has multifocal lenses and is, has high resolution, and you don't, don't look like a dork. <laughs> that, and that would be a good outcome. Could, it, could, it could be much worse. Well, yes, I, I think we will. I think we will get there. But there are the real hard problems, physics problems, not like Moore's, but not, we'll wait for Moore's law and everything will be okay. But there are really hard problems around physics and battery life and optics and hologram, real holograms. And it's not going to be solved tomorrow. And we're probably you know, talking 10, 20 year lifetime. But if we can get there, then that is the, the potential. It could replace the mobile phone you know, as a platform because it's a pain, right? Having to carry around this chunk of metal and glass the whole time you keep losing. If you have something that's really accessible and always on and well-designed, non-intrusive, it could be a, a game changer as a new platform type, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. Which is also why it's entertaining that a lot of people look at the level of investment that 
Meta is putting into their reality labs, right? People are talking about it, about $10 billion a year. I would argue that's probably not enough. Probably if they could, they would have invested more because what they are aspiring to do is really build a whole new computing platform. And they're trying to build a lot of the components themselves. And that may or may not be the right strategy. And there is the kind of the this interesting thing that everyone always try and be Apple and control the value chain and do everything themselves. And forgetting that Apple have learned to do that over 30, 40 years of company lifetime. But I think we're looking at billions of dollars of investment for a very long time, because as you said, we it's not there yet. The metaverse is not there yet. Uh, these devices are not there yet. I personally put a VR device and after five, 10 minutes, I got to take it. I got to take it off. I mean, it's too much. It feels too much. And maybe it will always feel too much. Maybe by definition, it's designed to just be something you wear five, 10, 15 minutes. But anyhow, I don't want to take the thunder away from the rest of the important things we wanted to discuss today. So maybe switching gears and I'd love to hear your perspective on what are some of the key areas where you believe collaboration is not only required, but is absolutely paramount to realize the full vision of the metaverse as a sort of network of fully interoperable 3D virtual worlds on the internet. And also as a follow-up question, how does blockchain fit and fit in, if at all? Yes, that's great. So you said the magic word, interoperability. <laughs> so both with my Kronos hat on and now the Metaverse Standards Forum hat on, interoperability is what we're aiming for. And so what does it mean? Well, at, at the nuts and bolts level, you know, an interoperability standard, uh, an open standard, is simply a contract between two things on how they're going to communicate to each other. You know, it can be a software talking to hardware, so you know, like a hardware API, like Vulkan for 3D graphics or DirectX 12, you know, that's a hardware API. Now Vulkan is an open standard. OpenXR is another Kronos standard for driving XR hardware. But it, it can be, doesn't have to be hardware to software. It can be client to server. It can be all kinds of things. It can be different worlds communicating to each other on the metaverse. It can even be companies communicating to each other or you know, governments and industry, all kinds of different types of interoperability standards are going to be needed to build the metaverse because we're bringing together all these technologies in new ways. They are essential, I think, at two levels. One is, again, at the nuts and bolts level, if you don't have these interoperability standards, then everyone has to invent everything themselves. You know, it's not until you have agreement between multiple companies in the industry that people begin can begin to leverage the work and the value that other companies are bringing to any platform and focus on differentiating in their own area of expertise, know where that company can uh, innovate. So there's a networking effect and uh, well-designed standards, you know, getting rid of friction points to let the industry move ahead faster. The superpower of open standards is that they enable a technology to become ubiquitous because you enable multiple implementations of a piece of technology by multiple companies because an open standard, you have the specification, they say, this is what you have to do. And you have conformance tests, which make sure you've, you've implemented that standard correctly. Uh, no, else, if you don't have that, then everyone implements it in a slightly different way, nothing works. 
But if everything comes together, you can have multiple companies implementing an open standard for different geographies, use cases, price points, performance points, and platforms, a technology can become pervasive. So as we go into this Darwinian cycle in the metaverse, the successful uh, needed communication is going to be encapsulated in, into standards. And we need that because A, nothing's going to work without it. But more importantly, and again, this, I think this is part of the excitement of the metaverse, if we can get that networking effect, we can go beyond where we are today with our proto metaverses, where Fortnite and Roblox and all the other off flight simulator and omniverse, da, 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 da. they're all basically silos and they haven't figured out yet how they're going to interoperate. How are they going to communicate uh, in various ways? So we're going to be without interoperability, we're going to be stuck in our silos with interoperability. I think we, many people have the vision that we'll be able to build a larger economy, a larger platform where people will be able to build content in one place and take it into, to many places around the metaverse, that just builds momentum and commercial opportunity, everyone. So interoperability, it isn't like nice icing on the cake. It's a fundamental uh, prerequisite to building the metaverse to its full potential. So here's a, here's a question that I think is really important. And we just talked about, right? And Apple are working on their own computing platform around XR, right? And everyone is waiting for the release of whatever it is that the product they're going to launch. But let's put that aside. Apple is playing an instrumental role with, in this sort of consumer technology landscape because they own the device ecosystem and the app store. And when we think about that role and also the role Google plays with Android, right? When we think about those companies, in particular, Apple, where do they fit in, in the conversation on interoperability, shared standards, shared protocols? Because a lot of those platforms that we've described, if it's Omniverse or if it's Roblox or Fortnite or Minecraft and others, majority of people will likely in the near future will access those environment through mobile devices, personal computers to a large extent. So where do they fit into the conversation? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And I think at every stage of technology evolution, there is a spectrum of different business models and none of them are right or wrong. And I think it's I don't know immutable law of physics that you're always going to get a spectrum of different business models. It's part of the whole Darwinian nature of the universe. You're going to get companies that as far as possible, want to be a closed platform. And because they can get the community to focus only on their platform and that's their business model. And I think Apple is more towards that end of the spectrum. It's not, again, not a criticism. Apple is the most successful company in the world today. So it's working, but, but there, there is a spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum, there are companies that want to leverage the networking effect, use open standards to leverage all this work around the industry so they can build more value than they would be able to if they had to invent everything themselves. And then there's a whole spectrum from one to the other. And the metaverse is going to be exactly the same. It'll be exactly the same. There will be companies on one end of the spectrum, companies on 
the, the opposite end of the spectrum and everything in between. And there, there are going to be successes and failures at each point on that spectrum. And that's standards, or standards and standards organizations shouldn't be trying to dictate and they can't anyway, we don't have any power to dictate, but we shouldn't even try or even think of trying to dictate where companies decide in their business models, whether they want to use and leverage open standards and how they leverage open standards. The job of the standards organizations and the open standards that we have is to enable those companies who want to leverage open standards on towards this end of the spectrum to have the right standards at the right time so they have that choice. And I would suggest even at the very far, this end, you know, the closed end of the spectrum, it's not possible to completely isolate yourself from the rest of the industry. For example, if you turn on an iPhone, you're using 5G and Wi-Fi standards. Now, the connectivity is totally open standards, even on an Apple platform. And I think you're going to find some certain technologies where wherever companies are on that spectrum, people will be connecting and using open standards for certain parts of their business model. And that's how it should be. I think you said two really important things. One is, and it's important to keep that in mind as the metaverse as an emerges in its, and it's, and it's being realized. One is there are going to be all sorts of modalities as part of the metaverse. There are going to be companies and platform that are semi-open. There are going to be companies and platform that are fully open. There are going to be companies and platform that are as part of the metaverse, but they're more closed. And it's almost like it's one global environment with its multiple different political systems, right? Someone will want to have a democracy. Someone will want to have a semi-democracy. And I think the important piece is that we should not be deterministic about there's only one way to be a metaverse. I think what we should be deterministic about is the interoperability piece Yes. Without which probably there isn't really a metaverse by definition and no one can be a metaverse on their own. Just like there is no internets. Facebook is not the internet. Google is not the internet. There is an internet and they are platforms who operate within the internet. Yes. And I think so, but we are expecting and it's okay to expect that there are going to be all sorts of modalities. And again, this is why just recently I wrote a blog post on our newsletter, which is, and I fully believe that is you don't have to have web three and blockchain to enable a metaverse because it's less about the tech. It's more about the principles of interoperability and what it means and why it's important. So that's the first thing that I think is important to call out from what you just described. And then yeah. the second thing is why adequate standards are really important. And that leads me to a question, which there has been a lot of curiosity and fanfare around the launch and the announcement of the Metaverse Standards Forum. And so I'd love for you to, I'd love to give you the stage to shine a bit more light on really what is the vision for the Standards Forum? Why does it matter that the Standards Forum exists and came to life? And ultimately, how do you envision the Standards Forum pushing forward what a metaverse could and should be? Yeah, it's a great question. And the there are a lot of folks out there who do believe in the power of standards because uh, as, as you eloquently said, 
Now, the metaverse isn't really the metaverse unless we are all communicating, and it's fundamental. But the genesis of the forum was the realization that we are bringing together so many technologies in novel ways. We're going to need a whole bunch of interoperability. <laughs> way more interoperability than any one standards organization can create. Because if anyone who's familiar with the standards community know that there are dozens or hundreds of standards organizations out there, and each standards organization typically has quite a narrow area of expertise where they've gathered a good quorum and enough expertise that they can really move the needle in their particular domain. You know, Kronos is the API that's been hardware and software. There's the World Wide Web Consortium, it's the web stack, there's Open Geospatial Consortium, which is doing all the geospatial stuff, and you can go down the list. It's a long list. And a lot of those standards organizations are doing and creating standards that are going to be relevant to the metaverse. So when the metaverse came onto everyone's radar <laughs> last year, we began to get people coming to the Kronos group saying, knocking on the door, that we never had spoken before, and saying, no, you do metaverse standards, and we're trying to understand the metaverse, can you help? And we go, we, do, we don't do metaverse standards. Oh, wait, yes, we guess we do 3D and XR, sure. <laughs> That's metaverse, absolutely. But we discovered that these, you know, the companies that were making good faith efforts to try to understand the standards landscape around the metaverse were faced with this kind of huge task of going around dozens or hundreds of standards organizations, trying to understand what each one is doing, piecing the jigsaw together, where are the gaps, where... Are people talking? Where are they not talking? Which standards should they use or not? And in the end, the standards community decided it should probably do better because there is this increased demand in, for interoperability. It, it would be a missed opportunity by the standards community if we didn't react. So we created the standards forum. It's a very simple idea. It's kind of neat as far as we know. If anyone knows a prior example, I'd love to hear it. I want, I want to learn from them. <laughs> but as far as we know, it's the first time that we've created just a forum for all of the standards organizations to come to one place and to communicate with the wider industry. So that the point of the forum is very simple. By communicating between the, the multiple standards organizations and getting the industry to tell us what they need in this kind of slightly more organized way than if it was just all random, we hope to encourage and enable the standards organizations to produce better standards for the metaverse that fit the requirements more closely because the industry has told us what they want and to do it faster because we're getting better data and support and encouragement as we create the standards that we have been working on in some cases for many years already. But I think we are also going to find gaps, certainly gaps in many of the standards we want to use. We're going to find how they're going to be enhanced for the metaverse. And we may, we may find gaps where there's a, a gap in the ecosystem where there is no standard or standards organization. And hopefully the forum will help us identify those more quickly and solve that problem if it arises faster than we would have otherwise. So the forum is just a super simple idea and it's free and open to everyone because participation is really the essence of it. Any organization can join. We have a good quorum of the key standards organizations already and we launched back in June with 37 companies. And I thought we were going to get a couple dozen more and we could start doing some interesting stuff. We're now over 2,000 organizations have joined, which kind of shows the level of interest, both in the metaverse and the idea that we need to use interoperability standards you know, to, to get to where the metaverse you know, should be. So, yeah, it's been an interesting few months. 
safe to say the metaverse standards firm have hit a product market fit. <laughs> I would say. Well, yes. More my luck than judgment, probably. <laughs> well, luck is always part of the mix. But one one thing that is notable from the memberships is the absence of companies like Apple and Roblox, for example. How does that impact, if at all, the way you believe effective shared standards can, can happen in the coming years? Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome to have the leading companies like uh, Apple and Roblox, but it comes back to it doesn't fit some business models, uh, which is fine. I, I don't think it makes sense for the part, the second, the portion of the industry that wants to use open standards and wants to see these open standards created you know, on this end of the spectrum. It doesn't make sense to have to, to say we need every company to agree and join a single organization before we can start doing useful work. It's clear that there's useful work to be done, and it's clear that we have you know, a good quorum of the industry, so we can be pretty sure that you know, the information and use cases and requirements we're going to get are pretty broad-based. So right. I think you know, we can absolutely do useful work, and hopefully, you know, as always, standards can't be mandated. It goes back to what we were saying before. No, no standards organization can insist or mandate that any of their standards get used. The only way that standards get used is if they're adding value to the industry. And that basically means, you no. Know, if people are making more money by using standards and not using standards, then the standards will get used. And any company is A, welcome to join the forum at any time, and B, of course, is uh, welcome to use any of the standards at any time too. So. What's an example of an initiative that is currently being driven by the Standards Forum that you think is really notable as an example of an initiative that, that the Metaverse Standards Forum can bring to life? Yeah, that's a good question. Because, of course, once you have like 2,000 people on a Zoom call. <laughs> a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions. You look at a lot of awesome ideas and opinions, but of course you need to be careful how you organize for effective decision-making and forward action. So what we've done, and we have a three-step program where the first step we've done, it'll be a continuous process, but we've polled the membership for what are your interoperability hotspots, either problems that you're really holding you back or opportunities that you think are not being addressed. And we immediately got like 250 topics and they bunched into domains fairly naturally. And now we're setting up working groups inside the forum, uh, domain working groups to have very pragmatic short-term projects to progress inter interoperability in each of those domains. And you know, one important parenthesis, the forum is not another standards organization because that would just make the list of standards organizations even worse. It's like, like that XKCD cartoon that everyone keeps sending me. <laughs> it's a coordination thing. So it, it, once we get requirements and uh, things that standards need to do, that work gets passed out to the existing standards organizations. So we're not competing with ourselves and we're not duplicating work. But the topics that bubbled up to the top are, the first one is 3D asset interoperability, which maybe isn't a huge surprise. Now, this basic idea that it would be cool if you buy a branded bag in one environment, you're allowed to use it or jack, cool jacket in one place, you know your avatar is allowed to use it in another world on the metaverse, or in fact, your avatar itself, which is your most personal asset. <laughs> you 
know, once you've created and grown into your avatar, you, know, you can take it around with you to different places. You're not just creating a whole new avatar every time you go to a different space on the metaverse. So that is one of the topics that has bubbled to the top. And we have a couple of working groups working on different angles on that. One is the nuts and bolts of 3D. Now, how do you do that? How do you define geometry and animations and materials and behaviors? So everyone can understand what an asset is and can process it in their own environments. And the other one is it's, it's around how assets are managed from a, an IP and permissions and ownership point of view, because although you may be able to take objects from one space to another, just like in the real world, it may not be appropriate to take every single object to every single space. There are kinds of their IP issues, there's age appropriateness, all, all kinds of reasons why probably we're going to need to have custom posts now, as we go between the different worlds in the metaverse and the interoperability uh, standards are going to need to enable that kind of careful, thoughtful custom processing as you go between the different worlds. So we covered so much about the metaverse, but I want to switch gears and talk a bit about your own personal journey, right? What were some of the defining moments in your career, which you believe contributed not only to your excitement and commitment about helping to shape what the metaverse become, but also really positions you uniquely to help shape what the metaverse become? It's almost a question that that it's almost a question that asks you to be unapologetically celebratory of the journey you've been through and what you bring to the table. Yes, I'm English, so it's a very embarrassing question for me. <laughs> but in the spirit of sharing my experience, so I've always, from college, 3D has always been my thing, and I've been fortunate in being able to be in 3D for my whole whole career. Feels like a bit of the Forrest Gump movie. For, for, for whatever reason, I've been lucky enough to be involved in lots of the key milestones in 3D. Part of the startup in the UK, 3D Labs, and we were one of the first companies to bring 3D to the PC. And then I uh, actually initiated OpenGLES, which was the kernel standard that brought 3D to the mobile phone. And then Kronos was very instrumental in working with the web community to create WebGL, which brought 3D to the web. <laughs> so being there, helping 3D broaden its reach out into all these different platforms. And so now the next platform that needs 3D uh, is the metaverse. And the asset file formats that Kronos has been working on, GLTF, and the awesome work that you know, Pixar and actually Apple and NVIDIA are doing with USD, and all these formats are going to be essential. So bring it to the metaverse is the next platform challenge for my own personal journey point of view, as well as being in those Forrest Gump <laughs> serendipitous <laughs> moments, serendipitous. Yeah. The biggest journey other than getting hooked to 3d early on the being there when Silicon graphics launched OpenGL, and being there and watching the catalytic effect that an open standard could have, because if you remember, but it's 30 years ago, so maybe people don't know, you know, when Silicon Graphics were first formed, they had a proprietary 3D graphics API called RSGL. And then they took the kind of awesome decision that's really been the foundation for much of the 3D industry ever since to 
turn that into an open standard and OpenGL, which is available for any hardware vendor to, to implement it and ship. Being there as they took that decision and watching how it brought the industry together and created more opportunity for everyone involved, baking a bigger pie before you argue, argue over the slices, was a transformational experience for me. It showed the, the power of cooperation and the power of open standards. And I, I basically discovered, I guess my passion was helping people work together. And open standards has been you know, a, a tool, the main tool that, that I've been involved with for the rest of my career, actually, you know, in trying to make that happen. And so open standards was one piece of that. Where does the 3D come from? What was the point of time when you either serendipitously or in a more planned manner realized that 3D is a thing and you're excited about it and you see why this is really going to drive things forward in a meaningful way? It was really before consumer 3D was available in college. We were lucky enough to have some folks working on graphics. They were pretty rudimentary in those days, but I remember going to the pub <laughs> after a hard day at lectures. And we were even then talking about now, how were we going to get 3D to be interactive and affordable? And we had some very crude software prototypes. The silicon graphics, of course, was fundamental. 3D labs, we had very early 3D graphics hardware too. Big boards packed full of bits and nice chips, <laughs> which was fun to build. And we were actually that's the same as Pixar. Pixar had big boards full of bits and nice chips at the same time, their image computer. So we were working alongside and competing with Pixar, and then we were working alongside and competing with NVIDIA. So yeah, it's just been a journey. It just ha it was the right time and the right place. You know, just happened to be there when it all started in a serious way. Before we conclude the conversation, what's the one thing that you would like the listeners to take away from the conversation today? I think if the folks listening now have an interest in the metaverse and trying to figure out how their own organization should respond, I think it goes back to what we were saying before, and that is don't get trapped by the hype and don't get trapped by the talk of dystopia. <laughs> so you know, I saw some market forecasts you know, just a few months ago saying the metaverse is going to be worth $25 trillion by the year 2030. And this is before we even know what the metaverse is going to be. This is crazy. And now, of course, there's all, all everything going on with crypto and everything else. So it's going to be this roller coaster. Try to ignore that if you can and actually focus on the reality of these technologies are coming together. And there is going to be this continual wavefront of opportunity as we figure out how to bring all these elements together. Focus on what that could mean to your organization here now, today, or at least in a short to medium term, because there are going to be opportunities, not just people building metaverse, but using this metaverse, whatever. It's going to be, and it may not be called the metaverse so much longer. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter either. It's these technologies that are coming together and creating new opportunities, just like the web was transformative. And when the Netscape browser was launched, no one predicted what the web was going to turn into and where the opportunities were going to be. We're on that same journey again, 
don't be left out, but don't get caught up in the hype either. Wise advice and fantastic takeaway from Neil. So thank you, Neil, uh, Vice President of Developer Ecosystem at NVIDIA, President of Cronus Group and Chair of the Metaverse Standards Forum. This was an enlightening conversation with a lot of digestible information about what are standards for the metaverse and why they're important and what might happen in their absence. Neil, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Into the Metaverse. We hope you learned a lot and explored new aspects of the metaverse. 